Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we're going to bring you exclusive insight and stories from our team of writers. Uh, Coming up today, David will detail stories including the future of West Ham's Declan Rice, our Everton writer Greg O'Keefe on how James Rodriguez ended up in the Premier League, and The Athletic's Sarah Shepard assesses the possible impact of some of the biggest names in the game joining women's Super League clubs, including, of course, the US superstar Alex Morgan. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a month. So theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman and you get The Athletic for just a pound a month. Subscribers to The Athletic can submit questions to David in the comments section of his weekly column by using the hashtag AskOrnstein and then he'll pick his favourites for his YouTube show. Get him. Make sure to subscribe to the TIFO podcast YouTube channel. Uh, Let's start with a couple of stories from your column then, David. Uh, It says here that you're back with a bang, so hopefully you are. Uh, We're going to start with Tottenham fullback Danny Rose. Um, They didn't tell him he wasn't getting his squad number, and according to your article, he's training with the under-23. So what's going on and where might he end up? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm back with a bang, but I am back. Danny Rose is also back at Tottenham, but he's not back in Jose Mourinho's first team plans. It's my understanding that when Rose returned to the club this summer, obviously he was on loan at Newcastle for the second half of last season, having fallen out of favour with Jose Mourinho. And you can find out why by watching the Amazon documentary with that now sort of infamous scene where... Jose Mourinho and Danny Rose are one-on-one and Rose is asking for more game time, regular game time. And that's kind of at the crux of this issue because when Rose has returned from loan with one year left on his contract, it expires in the summer of 2021. Jose Mourinho has said to him that you're not going to be part of my first team plans because you want regular game time. And I've got three left backs. They are Ben Davies, Ryan Sessegnon and a younger player as well. So... With that in mind, Danny Rose, to fulfil his desire to get extra game time, regular game time, he'll he'll need to leave. And so that was an understanding that uh, was clear to all parties. What wasn't relayed is that Rose would be losing his squad number, the number three, of course. And, and on, I think it was Friday evening or late afternoon, Tottenham announced on their website their squad numbers for the new season and Danny Rose wasn't on the list. The number three was vacant. Some people may say, well, if he's not included in the first team squad plans, then he shouldn't expect to have a number. But I think after 13 years service, he'll feel that he should have at least been told you're not going to have a number. You know, there is a possibility 
however unlikely that he stays if he doesn't secure a move and uh, and then what happens well presumably he would continue training with the under 23s that's who he's been training with so far since returning and the plan is for that to continue he did have a, a small calf injury but he's fully fit after that now and there's interest in him from Genoa that's been quite widely reported it's not advanced as advanced as some people had made out but there is interest there are also some clubs I think in uh, Spain and Turkey and then one in England as well so it's very likely that Danny Rose will be on his way out of Tottenham but perhaps it's not the best note to have ended it on okay let's go across London we'll go to West Ham uh, you have an update on Declan Rice. Surely, surely, after everything with Grady D and Garner, they cannot sell Declan Rice. I mean, I mean, I don't know what is an upgrade on uproar, but it will <laughs> be worse than uproar. Well, anything's possible in football. We've seen stranger things happen. But uh, as far as I understand it, the view of the West Ham hierarchy is that Declan Rice is not for sale under any circumstances. Now, you could say we've heard similar things before from Leicester with Ben Chilwell. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers had come out and said pretty much the same thing. And then he ended up going to Chelsea. Every player has their price. And certainly this summer when Chelsea want a player, they seem to get him. But... Uh, it's pretty unthinkable from West Ham's point of view that Rice would go this summer. He's under contract until 2024. Before the lockdown, we saw how happy he was when he scored uh, a spectacular goal. He ran over to David Moyes and celebrated. Yeah, things haven't been smooth. We saw him, I think it was he liked the tweet by Mark Noble criticising the departure of Grady Diangana. However, People I've spoken to around the club say Rice will not be leaving during this transfer window, that West Ham are aware of the interest from Chelsea, especially from Frank Lampard, uh, who we understand is extremely keen to bring Rice in and convert him to a top-class central defender at Stamford Bridge. Um, we've reported that on The Athletic, my colleague Simon Johnson and also Liam Toomey. I do think there are some reservations among some at Chelsea about the sort of level of investment it might take to prize him away from West Ham. You know, people have mentioned around £80 million, but also a feeling among some that he might not have solved some of the perceived deficiencies in his game that were present when Chelsea decided to let him go from their academy as a 14-year-old. Then he joined West Ham's academy and, and the rest is history. So look, these links I'm sure will continue. I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm just saying the view of West Ham. Sort of going back to the Dean Garner story then, your column says that those funds could be reinvested elsewhere. We know they're looking at James Tarkovsky, but you're mentioning a couple of fullbacks as well. Yeah, defence is clearly the overwhelming priority for West Ham. You can just see that in the way they've been playing uh, in pre-season and in that first match, the defeat by Newcastle. The Tarkovsky approaches have been well documented. I was also told that the Ukraine central defender of Shakhtar Donetsk, Mikola Matvienko, is somebody who interests them. And I was told that he had a proposal of sorts from West Ham, but I don't know how advanced it is and I don't know whether it's moved on since I was told it uh, over the last couple of weeks. He's a player who's attracted interest in the past from Manchester City. I reported that in my column, I think it was in January, and also Arsenal. Uh, he was one of the options for Arsenal in January uh, when, when they ended up getting Pablo Mari. So defence, yeah, key area and left back too. They need more than one. They've got Aaron Cresswell at the moment and uh, on their list of options that they they would consider uh, the likes of 
Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea, which will raise natural questions about whether he could be used as part of an attempt to lure Declan Rice, but I don't know anything about that. I just know that there's some interest in Emerson and also Seb Kalasinac of Arsenal, someone they admire. There's a good chance that he could be leaving the Emirates Stadium. There's been interest from Germany that we've known about. It's been well documented, uh, his old club Schalke, but we don't know. He could stay at Arsenal. We're not saying anything for certain on that one or that West Ham and David Moyes in particular, when he reviews the these options and these recruitment lists will want to go for him. I think they'd like to bring in a right back as well, but I'm, I'm not sure about names on that front. I do think West Ham have some money in part because of the Dion Garner sale and on part an existing fund of some sort. Um, people have told me in the region of sort of £30 million, so not huge expenditure expected at West Ham this summer, but some and, and certainly the fans will be... Um, Keen to find out what happens. David Moyes too, because it doesn't feel like a happy place at the moment. It's something we discussed at length with Rashane Thomas last week on the podcast. And then one other interesting line in your column, uh, you talk about a missed opportunity because EFL clubs have been denied Premier League parachute payments. Yeah, a missed opportunity in the eyes of EFL clubs that I've spoken to who have seen Fulham come down to the Championship earn their parachute payments in the first year and that would have continued in the second and third years if they had stayed down but they got back promoted after one season and therefore the standard mechanism there's no foul play here is that the money that Fulham would have earned through parachute payments goes back into the Premier League coffers and gets distributed among the 20 clubs so a welcome bonus for the Premier League clubs and that was first reported in the Daily Mail at the end of last week by Matt Hughes we found out that Naturally, there was another club who uh, was in receipt of parachute payments, West Brom. They were due to have their third year of payments, and but they got promoted back to the Premier League. And so that money went into the Premier League coffers again. It's on a sort of sliding scale. You get 55% of the TV revenue you would have got in your first season out of the Premier League, 45% in the second year, and then it drops to 20% in the third year. Um, and so it's a pretty significant windfall for those Premier League clubs and you've got many EFL clubs looking at that and saying in this time of absolute crisis we really could have done with that money we can do we we want we need any money we can get our hands on and that would have been a generous touch that would have been really sort of helpful for our chances of survival and and retaining some sort of financial health. The Premier League clubs will say, well, we've got our own problems with, with no crowds and revenues down and we need all the money we can get too. And it will just come down to a debate about the redistribution of wealth throughout English football. And that's a question really for government, for the Premier League and the EFL around a table together. But as you say in in the column, and there is a spokesman, I think, from, from the EFL in there, you know... the. <laughs> These aren't payments that they are entitled to, the EFL, because they should have gone to the clubs. But it feels like it's industry money. And for the greater good of the game, maybe it could have gone to the EFL in this current climate. Yeah, it's not an EFL spokesman. It, it, it was an executive from an EFL club, uh, a championship club, to be precise, who was sort of explaining that in desperate times, desperate measures, and, and, and we're looking... At, these are exceptional circumstances and as I said we need to get hold of some money and this would have been ideal because it would have been going to Fulham and West Brom anyway. 
it's only gone back to the Premier League because of their promotion. And so it would have been an easy win for you, I think he said to me. And it depends what side of the fence you sit on. Uh, really, the question needs to be asked of government, perhaps, unless the Premier League and EFL can knock their heads together and come up with some sort of smoother redistribution model. And that's why it's more of an ethical argument, really, than, say, a procedural one, because that money was the property, really, of the Premier League. It was nothing to do with the EFL. It was for the clubs coming down. And with those clubs not being down anymore, uh, it's right, technically, that it goes back to the Premier League. But on an ethical basis, the EFL clubs, many of them, are, are staring at financial oblivion. If you remember, during the crisis, the Premier League forwarded a payment that was due to the EFL clubs, I think, in January. They forwarded that to them in advance to help them through the crisis. But the EFL executive I spoke to said that that's just kicking the can down the road and it's going to encourage those who are overspending to continue overspending on transfers and salaries. But then in January, there's a ticking time bomb here. And unless something is done about this financial crisis, we could see EFL clubs going to the wall and they're pleading with anybody to help them out. Now, some have got their houses in order and they've operated on a prudent basis and they should be okay. Others less so, some by their own fault, some by no fault of their own. And this is an age-old argument. The EFL clubs want the Premier League to give them more of their money. The Premier League clubs feel they are the ones who earn this money and so they don't need to give more. They already give solidarity payments and then the parachute payments. EFL argument is that you never know, Premier League chairman, clubs, you, you never know when you'll be in this position. If you're the one who's relegated, then you'll see the shoe is on the other foot. It's a debate that will always go back and forth. There are contrasting priorities. And that's why I say perhaps at some point the government needs to intervene and discuss a sort of more equitable, a fairer share of the distribution if we are going to have long-term health throughout the leagues. But I'm no expert on this. I'm just reporting the situation that is occurring behind the scenes. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast is brought to you by Packed Coffee. It's a company that offers coffee without compromise, which means they source only the best beans and they pay their farmers over fair trade rates and they always get their coffee to your door, freshly roasted, no excuses. Packed Coffee allows you to choose exactly how you want your coffee and when it's delivered to you. It's not your typical subscription that comes on the first of every month. You can get coffee whenever you want and you can pause, cancel or change your plan anytime online. Packed doesn't sacrifice quality for the sake of profit. Their coffee is roasted fresh for your order and ground just moments before it's shipped. I know this, by the way, David, because I've been sent some. And look, that's right. So that's my bag next to me. And on it, it, it tells me that it was it was roasted on the 3rd of September, packed on the 4th of September, and it arrived on the 5th of September. No, it arrived on the 4th of September as well. So they wow. have all the details on it. And I have to say, as well as uh, saying thank you to Pact for sending the coffee, uh, it tells me who it was grown by. So thank you. Not that I imagine Sergio's listening, <laughs> but thank you, Sergio Manto, Manto Vanini for growing uh, my coffee. It's very nice, actually. And I, I was going to, do you know what I was going to say? It has a, uh, 
it has a hint of chocolate malt about it. But I, I, the reason I know that is because it says it on the label to give me the, the <laughs> taste of the kind of hint of the flavour. But it was very, very nice. And you there must you cherish it to bring it on air with you. Like, it, I can hear you patting it like well, a, yeah. a friend I mean, of yours. I'll be honest with you. I'm not carrying it around the house, cuddling it. But I thought, <laughs> as, I, as I was reading the, uh, the blurb about it, I thought... I would have it here, having had my coffee slightly earlier today, and just uh, give it a, a big up. Back to what Pact do. They provide free and fast delivery. There are no hidden postage charges. If you order before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday to Friday, you'll get your order the very next day. Uh, we really want you to try it. It's delicious. Uh, we'll give you a discount code for you to get your first bag, which means it should be from just £1.95. So go to pactcoffee.com. Packed, P-A-C-T, coffee.com. Packedcoffee.com. You can create your flexible coffee plan. Enter the code KICKOFF at checkout, and our code is valid when you create a packed coffee plan for new customers only. Uh, well, it was a great start for Everton over the weekend. We have a new look midfield that features one of the biggest names in world football in James Rodriguez. We can talk to Greg O'Keefe, who's on the Everton beat for the Athletic. Hi, Greg. Hi, uh, morning, mate. We'll come on to the whole midfield in a little bit because you've written a great article on that on the Athletic. But just on Rodriguez himself, how did the the deal come about? Because everybody assumes it's just, oh, they've got Ancelotti, he's got a relationship with the player, and that's how they got him. Yeah, and, and you know, to a large extent, that was the main driver with him suddenly ending up in a, a royal blue shirt. I think most Evertonians be realistic to enough to accept that a player who was, you know, won the Golden Boot not that long ago at the World Cup and encounters Real Madrid and buying as, as on his CV, it wasn't desperate to get to the club that finished twelfth in the Premier League and's not in Europe. <laughs> however, however, um, you know, Ancelotti. Going there, obviously, did raise eyebrows. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> across across European football, in a way, and then you've got, you've got the ambition of the owner, Fahad Mashiri, and I think a combination of those things. Um, the way Ancelotti was able to sell, not just look, we can work together and I can get the best from you, but I'm here for a reason. You know, ignore last season. We're going to be going places and bringing in a couple other players. Uh, I might do a bit more business, and you're going to be the main part of it. And just put his arm around him and sort of revive that fatherly relationship that I think it, a player like James seems to need to get the best from him because, you know, he frozen out by Zidane. Uh, you know, Zidane was interested in him. I think James was interested in, in playing sort of for Real Madrid began to wane. And he was at risk of losing his place in Colombia, which sounds ridiculous because he's their biggest player and, mm. and, you know, arguably their best. I think the, the new coach there um, was, was, was sort of hinting that he was needing to be playing regularly in order to keep playing for, for the national team. So, it was a couple, a couple of things ultimately, and of course as well. You know, um, Real Madrid were were super keen to get him off their wage bill, like like most of the clubs across Europe. They're trying to sort of tighten their own budgets in, in the wake of COVID nineteen. So all those factors came together for Everton to get what's pretty implausible as a deal because of some of the reasons I said when you first asked the question over the line. And um, I suppose the question now is, can he can he turn back the clock? But what we saw yesterday suggests he, he might be able to. And they haven't spent big on him either. Well, certainly not as regards no. the transfer fee. I mean, God knows what his wages are, but the transfer fee is mm. not ridiculous by any means. No, no, not, not at all. Um, I mean, there was there was a lot of talk. You, you probably heard the suggestion last week. That a lot of talk that they actually got him for free. Now, as far as I can 
as far as I can work out, it's not quite that amazing, but it's still it's still very very low when you think. You know, there was a, a suggest the, the initial suggestions where it was a sort of twenty to twenty five million uh, pound deal, but I don't think it was that much at all. I think it could have even been less than ten, and even even down sort of single figures because I think ultimately wow. what they what they did, Real paid him for the final year of his contract, and yeah. from what I can figure out, is Everton then you know paid Real that. Yes. So you could be looking at sort of eight and you know eight and nine million pounds, and then yep, as you say, look the wages are a massive commitment commitment in themselves but you know when you look at what Chelsea have done in terms of the fees they've paid on f- admittedly some fantastic players to get Rodriguez for that sort of sum is is some business. Micah Richards said to me on on match of the day too um in his ridiculously tight shirt that it was <laughs> uh, <laughs> that um, he felt it was very similar to Manchester City when they signed Rubinho in that it's that statement for for the players for the fans, for for possible corporate sponsors, right? We mean business. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that isn't it? I heard Mike say that last night, and I can see where he's coming from. I mean, look, you've got you've got to accept as well that Everton have already thrown an awful lot a lot of money at, at this, uh, you know, that sort mm. of Mashiri's Mashiri's Everton, the sort of reboot uh, when they finally got the billionaire owner, and most of it has been, but sadly, it's been wasted. He's always wanted to deliver that sort of player. Um, I remember hearing people tell me that in his first summer as majority uh, investor slash owner, he was on his yacht in Monaco and he was trying to sort of tell him uh, a cohort of agents, look, try and get me uh, Zlatan, try, you know, try and get me all sorts of top players. And you know, eventually realism creeps in, but they've seen the potential for this deal. Obviously, like we said, Ancelotti's played a big part. And now they've got a player in who could do similar to, to what Mike, I guess, was, was, and he would know, in terms not just on the, on the worldwide stage, but in the dressing room. All of a sudden, standards mm. shoot up. The other players are, gen- I mean, like Premier League, like, like anyone who does, does something for a living, like you can become a bit jaded. We've seen it all before, but I think most of the players in the dressing room will look at this guy and go, but this is a serious footballer. Mm. You know, he, he, sometimes, I don't know what you thought yesterday, he looked two or three passes ahead of some of his teammates. Yeah. So I think they might take time to sort of, creep towards his level and that can only be a good thing if he, if he can sort of drag them forward but you know what it's interesting again what, what you said about the commercial side because Everton have yet to nail down their shirt sleeve sponsor for this season they finished their agreement with Angry Birds um, earlier this summer and I reckon that they've deliberately waited because now they've got all of a sudden now they've got him it opens up a whole new um, yeah. avenue of, of, of marketing in South America which they're already targeting and I think they can try and get a few more quid out of potential sponsors. You are right, because for those of us that haven't played professional football, you, you just look at it with that amateur fan's eye, don't you? But as I, yeah. said to, as I said to both of them last night, he just looked like he had more time than anybody else on the field, which you know links to your point about him being a couple of passes ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it kind of helped, didn't it? Again, sort of watching much match today too yesterday and, and you sort of... You know, rightly praised Everton, and then there was also the focus on the flip side of how poor Tottenham were. And mm. you know, he Mourinho understandably was talking about like their press was way off; they didn't look energetic. So it'll be interesting to see if he steps up against a team that really press for ninety minutes. And there are a few in the Premier League now yeah. who, do, who do that, aren't there? So can he? It was only his debut, and he's probably not fully match fit because he'd only been sort of at Finch Farm for about a week. He still doesn't know his teammates inside out. So 
there's loads more to come from him, I think, in terms of conditioning. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he responds when someone's breathing down his neck and not giving him any space. Your article uh, on The Athletic after yesterday's game really highlights the midfield and the axis of Allen and Decore. And I know we're only one game in, but it, you know, so you don't want to go too overboard. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, it's bearing fruit already. I mean, the way Allen organised Everton yesterday was something that's been lacking for a long time. Yeah, like too long for most Blues yeah. care, care to care to remember, really. And you know, again, like I was thinking about this, speaking to one of my mates yesterday, and to to go back to the Sunday League analogy, you know, we've all played with one of those midfielders who just never stops talking. He's always sort of like pulling the the four or whatever shape you're in the midfield forward and backwards, and just commanding. And you know, yeah, again, you know, it's something that you would expect Premier League standard players to be able to just do automatically, but. Not always like that. I think it's important to have someone who leads by example and then leads vocally. And Everton haven't had that for a long time. You know, they've had some really committed and very, very good professionals, but just not big talkers. And I think there's still a lot of importance and value in that in the game. And then it's not obviously, you know, you look to what they can do on the ball as well, um, rather than just be a, be a mouth when they mm. haven't got it. And I think both the new central midfielders showed um, that they're comfortable on the ball, that they're progressive. And Ancelotti's demanding players to, as he calls it, pass vertically more often, not just sideways and backwards all the time. <laughs> um, this isn't because Calvert-Lewin scored a, a Ferguson-esque header, but I was, when I was watching the players go off the field and, and Big Dunk is there greeting all of them as they <laughs> come off the field. But I, but I do think, even from his that little brief spell as caretaker... You can't underestimate, I don't think, the importance of Duncan Ferguson in that in that backroom staff. And I'm I'm not going on anything, but knowing him slightly, mm. and also just watching his relationship with all these players, they they seem to love him. They do, they do. There's a real effect, deep affection for him, which which you're right, you saw in those two games as caretaker manager because. Frankly, you just saw the extra, you know, whether right for for better or worse, you just saw the extra effort, commitment, and passion. Mm that they were able to drag out themselves as opposed to sort of like the end of the Marco Silva era. Um, you saw the way they celebrated as a team and with him after they got the result against Chelsea. Um, and, you know, Ancelotti came in there looking, he's not going to be pressured into picking a local guy to put on his coaching staff f- for anyone. I don't I think if he had had an issue or didn't think Ferguson added value, I think Ferguson would have been kicked um, mm. sideways into a role in the academy or something. But pretty early doors, Ancelotti made it very clear, this is someone I want senior in my in my coaching setup. And he's actually on a par with his son, Davide, who, you know, is by all accounts, it's not nepotism, he's a really, really good assistant coach. So that those two sit underneath Ancelotti. And as you say, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because he's very good at what he does. And I remember speaking to Don Calvert-Lewin after that Chelsea game, down in the tunnel at Goodison when, when we could actually go down in the tunnel yeah. and speak to players face to face. And he was just saying that from the from the moment he came to the club, you know, when he, he came as like a, a sort of 500 grand signing from Sheffield United and, and he said Ferguson had always looked out for him, perhaps always saw the potential, you know, sort of big, strong, mm-hmm. um, sort of strip, strip of a lad, quite lanky and probably saw the potential to get out of him, you know, what he felt he, he delivered. And as you say, that header was just textbook Duncan, wasn't it? Are you expecting any more business this window, or are they done? I know. I think they'll do some more. They still need to. Uh, they still need a sort of 
Look, you can say right back they've got John Joe Kenny, who's you know done really well on loan at Schalke last season, push currently pushing Seamus Coleman. But I, I've got a feeling that they'd sell John Joe if a club came in with what they feel is a decent offer. And they've looked at Santiago Arias at Atletico, and they've looked at Diego Dallo uh, at United. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but they do <laughs> <laughs> they do like those two players. So it wouldn't surprise me if something happens later on in the window. And then there's just these rumours going around about another winger. I can't see where another this guy, one. Another one. I can't see where he he fits in. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's nice. Ever, Everton are to wingers what Arsenal are to centre halves at the moment. I, I know, I know. Because don't forget, like the players yesterday didn't even get a look in, and they paid a lot of money for like a Wobi and players like that last yeah. season. So it would be a loan. I should say all these deals would would probably be loans. But um, yeah, I wouldn't rule us out of doing a late, bit of late business. Good stuff, Greg. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Thank you. Plenty more writing from Greg on Everton on the Athletic, and you can also hear him on the podcast Glad Tidings. Balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start losing our hair before we hit 40. And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easy for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing the doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face to face with a stranger in a white coat. So Hims connects you to real doctors online which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.co.uk forward slash athletic. Uh, now, as you may have seen, there have been a clutch of big-name signings in the Women's Super League, including arguably the biggest of them all in US superstar Alex Morgan. Uh, we're joined by the Athletics' Sarah Shepherd, who's looked at how these huge talents and big profiles might affect the English game. First of all, Sarah, why has there been this sudden influx of star names, especially the American players? It's basically a lot to do with, with what's going on in the world at the moment, obviously coronavirus and the situation in the US, which is worse than it is here. And in the US, the NWSL, the Women's League, they had a competition that finished about a month ago, I think. And at, and at the end of that, it wasn't entirely clear what the next step was going to be for the league. And a lot of the players, obviously, with concerns that the Olympics is coming up next summer... I think spoke to the federation and, and and said, you know, what is the situation if we want to move abroad? Because in the past, the US soccer, I think, hasn't been that open to it because there's situations with central contracts and US soccer pays wages, etc. But they've given players the freedom to do that as free agents, I think, um, most of them. Those US players obviously wanted game time. They wanted proper access to training. So that's why we've seen more US players coming over them than we ever have before, a lot of them on either six-month or um, season-long contracts. It's opportunism, really, on both sides, I think, because a lot of the English clubs will know that they wouldn't, you know, I don't think Spurs would ever have thought they would have got their hands on Alex Morgan. And for the players, it's basically a guarantee that they're going to get a good few months of of training and competitive matches. And also, you know, potentially, depending which club they've gone to, the, the, the opportunity to play in the Champions League. I mean, is it different when players have come from Europe this summer to the WSL, either back to the WSL or coming for the first time? Players coming, obviously, from Wolfsburg and Lyon. Are they different circumstances? Yes, I would say so. I think most of those are on um, 
sort of longer term contracts. Um, in the women's game, contracts generally aren't that long anyway. But I think the case with Penilla Harder, I, I think she's on a either two or three year contract. And that was obviously the biggest signing we saw in terms of finances, although... Yeah. Although the women's game likes to keep those finances particularly quiet, for some reason it's not as open as, as it is in the men's game. So yeah, the situation is is generally different with players from Europe moving around, which we've seen a lot more of um, in the last couple of years in the WSL. Do you know why it's not as open when when discussing transfer fees? The women's game is is just at the moment it's just different. I mean, we haven't you know even agents are a red, relatively new thing in the women's game, so. Even a lot of agents are still coming to terms with how to deal with the media, what to say, what not to say. And I think there's just been a lot of sort of secrecy around it. I don't know why that is. I th- potentially because there haven't really been that many m- big money transfer deals. A lot of the deals in women's football are free free transfers mm. because, like I said, the contracts are so short that players and clubs know if they just wait one more year, they'll get that player for free because they'll be out of contract. So we haven't generally seen huge money deals that is starting to change gradually. And I think as the money goes up, it will become harder to keep them secret. As with Penilla Harder, I think, you know, it pretty much, the, I think Wolfsburg said that it was the biggest um, transfer fee. It was a world record transfer fee for a female. So you can pretty much work out roughly how much it was. So I think as, as the money goes up, it will become more transparent. A league always needs superstars. And uh, whether that's a male sport, a female sport, and, and I, I use sport, not just football, obviously. You know, you look at uh, the 100, both men's and women's in the cricket, they need superstars to yes. sell that tournament when it eventually starts. I saw one Tottenham fan on Twitter over the weekend liken the Alex Morgan signing to when Jurgen Klinsmann joined the men's side over, well, nearly 30, God, crikey, nearly 30 years ago now. But um, both for the club, but also for the league. Yes, yeah, it's it's huge for the women's game. Like, you know, the, the, the women's game has been crying out for publicity, for profile, for coverage. You know, it needs all of these things to grow. We know that. And, and, and bringing in these sorts of names is going to push that on massively. You know, I've never seen so many women's football transfers covered in the media as I have over the last few weeks. You know, I, going back, you know, five years, you, you wouldn't really even be aware there was a transfer window in the women's game. You know, sure. the, the, the deals weren't even talked about because, like I said, a lot of them were free and it was, it was generally mostly UK players moving around. Um, so this is, this is huge for the women's game um, in terms of all of those things. And it's just, it's just a shame that we can't see how that would have translated into, into bums on seats because that is the real... The really big challenge for women's football in this country, and, and for all the positivity, there is some negativity, such as the such as the way of the world. So, I, from reading your article as well on the Athletic, there are there are two points really. First of all, the opportunities that might be reduced for the young British talent. So, you start your article. Thirty-three players made their WSL debuts on the opening weekend. Of those, just six were English. Yeah, and but then looking at the the numbers, that isn't too different to what it was last year. The difference is in in the profile of the players that have come over, but it doesn't change the fact that we are seeing more foreign players come into the league, and it just it's just very reminiscent of what we saw with the men's game, um, you know, ten or, or more years ago, um, and and we know the way that that went in terms of English young English players getting opportunities. 
So while, yes, I completely see that, that it's really positive to have a lot of these big name players coming in, I can also see the potential for it causing issues four or five years down the line if it stays this way. And the younger players, you know, we've got we've got a, a great young generation now who are pretty much breaking through into the Eng- England senior team. But what about the ones behind them? Um, if they're not getting opportunities to play at senior level, you know, and then they come into the England under 17s, under 19s, under 21s with no senior football under their belt, it just it leaves us in a difficult position. And, and it's it just feels very familiar to what happened with the men's game. And I think it took us a while to to move on from that, you know, and now we've got this great generation of young players in the England men's team um, coming through, but it's taken, it's taken a while for that to happen and for us to learn how to balance the opportunities for, for foreign players with those for, for English players. And then the other, the other negative point that is around the women's game with this influx of players is that the uh, gulf between certain teams or the haves and have nots will increase. Yeah. And we've kind of seen a, a glimpse of that, um, this weekend just gone with, with Arsenal and Chelsea both scoring nine goals. What I would say is there are possible sort of explanations for that in terms of Arsenal were up against West Ham and the game was fairly tight until West Ham's captain got sent off. And that was after a couple of slightly controversial goals were scored by Arsenal that, that she thought were offside. But then as soon as they went down to 10, West Ham did did collapse somewhat. And then Chelsea just, just ran right over Bristol, which was semi-predictable because Chelsea are, are a team that's probably going to finish first or second and Bristol were, were pretty much favourites for relegation because they don't have that backing of a, of a Premier League men's, men's side behind them. We have already seen over the past few seasons this kind of separation between the top few teams and, and the ones further down. These World Cup winners coming over is, is probably going to exacerbate that. A lot of people will say, well, that's no different That's no different to the men's game and, and they're probably right. I think the difference is that in the women's game, we, we do have that difference between those clubs that have the backing of a men's Premier League side and the clubs like Bristol, Birmingham and Reading, who don't have that. Those differences between finances and, and, um, and facilities is just, is just huge. Going back to some of those teams that do have backing from a, a men's Premier League side, I suppose you could say that with, with Tottenham bringing in Morgan, Manchester United have brought in a couple of Americans as well that they might close the gap to Arsenal, for example, who seem in third and then and then move on to try and get closer to Chelsea and City. Yeah, I think I think with Manchester United, they're, they're definitely looking to break into that top three. Um, and, and I think now it will be a top four. With Tottenham, our holdout reservation. Um, sure. We, we're not sure how long Alex is here for. A couple, of, a couple of places have said till the end of this year. I've seen one place say till the end of the season. Um, she's also had a baby in, in May. She's not played for quite some time, but obviously her quality speaks for itself. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past there, but, um, but yes, they're, they're, the, the talent, the talent isn't only focused on those top clubs. It, it has, it has spread around and other clubs have picked up other internationals. Jess Fishlock, who's Welsh, has gone to Reading. I think Brighton have also picked up an Irish international. So, you know, the, the talent is spreading around, but I still think we will see that gap. Good stuff, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at only had your size, the styles you like, and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. 
It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash Ornstein to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalized just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule anytime with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash Ornstein right now. Uh, right, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.